A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Burkettle. Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair. Chapter 15 Chocolate cake, store mix, and store icing. But who cared? It was chocolate cake. Leah spread the icing while Maria looked at the marker on the kitchen table. Despite its finality, they had hauled it back rather than leave it for someone else to discover. Maria kept rereading the words and searching for the elation she should be feeling. They had fulfilled their mission. Millions and millions of lives had been saved or bettered. Evildoers had been thwarted. The lottery money was theirs to keep. It all sounded wonderful. It just didn't feel that way. Maybe the problem was the medium. Those cold, laser-chiseled letters on an unappealing black lump. Every sense memory Maria had of the markers was unpleasant. Sore muscles and joints, strained fingers, so many scuffs and scrapes. Honestly, she hated the sight of them. Maybe the problem was they couldn't see it. If there had been breaking news on television about the future of the human race suddenly being better, then at least they would probably feel some thrill at seeing their pictures there. It wasn't so much that Maria wanted public attention. Pretty much everything about that pushed the wrong buttons in her. But it would have been nice to have more confirmation than a single sentence. Leah shoved the message marker aside and set the cake down in front of them. She had written a message in awkward, sugary cursive on top. Maria and Leah, we save the future. What piece do you want, she asked, setting out the plates. Corner, Maria answered in a faraway mumble. That's my favorite, too. We'll both get corners. And then there will be two more corners left for us. Or should we take the rest to the doctor and Willie? I didn't even put their names on it. Maybe we should make another one. Maria pushed back from the table and stood to go to the fridge. Milk. Gotta have milk with cake. Good idea. Let me get the glasses. Maria poured herself and Leah some milk. The cake slice sat in front of her, looking moist and sweet. Oh yes, congratulations, the voice said. Maria jerked in her chair, startled. What is it? Leah asked. Nothing, Maria said. Sudden chill. Why are you hesitating to enjoy your reward? It continued. It looks so good. I never ate anything so good in my life. Maria rubbed at her temples as Leah, smiling as she made sure there were no objections, slipped her fork through the cake and brought it to her mouth. She chewed contentedly. Honey. A few drops of honey. That was the closest I ever came to dessert in my life. Of course, I didn't have much time, did I? Maria picked up her fork and speared the cake slice. Tugging loose a giant bite, she shoved it in her mouth and chewed. Leah smiled even wider at what she thought was Maria's voracious enjoyment. Maria did nothing to contradict her. She kept eating, and the voice kept talking. Later, she threw up, and it still smelled a little like chocolate cake. Dr. Qualls and Willie wanted to celebrate, too. Maria kept reminding herself that they were in the right, and she was the crazy one. 
They met Leah at last, and the three of them chattered for a long time about nothing earth-shattering. Leah seemed engaged in a way Maria barely recognized. She wondered if she was catching a glimpse of the woman Leah had been before. The dog cooked a disaster of a homemade chili in a giant pot, and they all made a good show of pretending it wasn't bad at all. Everyone but Maria split a bottle of red wine, though only after she promised it was okay for them to drink in front of her. She couldn't even remember seeing Leah drink. Then again, Leah never went anywhere. She sipped forever at a single small glass, but a little relaxation seemed to go a long way with her. It's funny, isn't it? Qualls pontificated, obviously pleased to have the floor for the occasion. That a warning from the future also brings with it some optimism. No nuclear war, no epidemic or mass starvation in the next 20 years. You wouldn't believe that from the news, would you? And technology, such advances. These brain implants really do sound extraordinary, although there are clearly still some kinks to work out. Uh, Doc? What if they're wrong? Maria managed to ask the question as if she were only curious, but she felt restless, aggressive in the face of everyone else's happiness. How do you mean? Let's say in the future, like six months after they told us it was all done, that they really figured out it wasn't really done, and they still needed us. Can we even still talk with each other? Dr. Qualls looked at her sympathetically, and Maria felt the hairs on her neck prickle. He answered soothingly, There's always been coordinates for an emergency pickup. If a marker failed to arrive or if something else happened, they promised to send instructions to that location, and we could resume communications that way, and we can always reach out to them via the post office boxes. What if we did that? I mean... Just ask to double-check that it's okay. Dr. Qualls smiled. What you must understand about time travel is that it's best that we do it as little as possible. All the limits our friends put in place are there to limit pollution, the spread of future knowledge. We can't let our anxieties lead us to abuse a power this awesome. Okay, well, how about you tell me where the emergency pickup spot is? I can take the new truck out there. I've got nothing but free time now. Qualls giggled loosely in response to Maria using the word time in that way. His laugh passed around the table to the others, and Maria became more irritated. It's no problem, right? Finally, his laughter settled, and he waved and nodded at her. Of course, of course. It's written down somewhere in my study. I'll dig it up for you later. Then he chuckled again, this time to himself. The bottle of wine on the table was empty. Maria stared at it, pretty sure she would have grabbed it otherwise. She didn't even like wine. Are you a fan of historical mysteries and fiction? Read or listen to the first novel by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle, Seeing by Moonlight. Kirkus Reviews called it a complex thriller that offers new revelations up until the very end. The book's science fiction elements drives the major plot twists, but the most engaging scenes are those in which readers learn the real relationships and histories between the characters. 
You can find the audio version on iTunes or any podcast player. It was late and everyone was tired and happy. Qualls and Willie were putting on a display of tipsy flirting between longtime lovers that was so charming that even Maria had to grin. But now they were headed for bed, and Leah and Maria had been invited to stay. Maria had agreed instantly, letting Leah have the guest room. Going to jog, she told Leah. Now? In that? I've got gear in the truck. I'll just change quick and go do a few miles. I mean, you don't even know your way around here. Maria tapped her skull with a smirk. Pilot brain. Even when I'm on the ground, I picture what a place looks like from above. I can navigate a neighborhood. Leah let it go with obvious resignation. Be safe, okay? Be safe, okay? The words echoed in Maria's mind, and she wasn't sure if it was just her memory underlining what she saw as a pointless caution in this cozy white neighborhood, or the voice seizing Leah's words and bouncing them back mockingly. The voice was showing off too many new tricks. It was intensely cold. After loosening up, Maria got up to pace. As she'd boasted to Leah, the neighborhood wasn't complicated, despite the way its old streets looped across the local hills. By staying off the main road, she could explore the cul-de-sacs in different orders and combinations for a few miles at least. Don't run, the voice said. You don't tell me what to do. Alone and with her feet thumping the road, Maria felt safe enough to answer. Don't run, it repeated harder and with a firmer edge than she was accustomed to. You can't make me, little boy. Finally, she had something she could direct the evening's anger at. Whether or not this choice was healthy could wait. Don't run. Maria stopped. She couldn't understand it. She had been jogging, getting her heart rate up, pushing steam out of her lungs, doing everything like normal. Her limbs were warmed up, loose enough to go. It had nothing to do with stamina or the cold or blisters on her feet because there weren't any. She had just stopped, regardless of her own will. She leaned forward, sucked in some wind, shook out her legs. Nothing was wrong with her body at all. She was in prime health. But she couldn't run. What the hell are you doing? she asked. The voice didn't answer. She went through her ritual stretches all over again, right there by the curb in front of some stranger's house. She put herself in race start position, rocked back and forth on her ankles a bit. Then she burst forward. After a few hard, fast steps, she pulled up again and stopped. Now she stalked around in a circle, fury growing inside her. You can't do this she said in a quiet growl. Not this. Don't take this. But her body wouldn't. Not couldn't. Just wouldn't. She started walking, not willingly, just because it was cold and it was time to lie down. She felt guided as she walked, steered by something else. Her mind tuned out, and with the energy to sustain her anger, 
she felt something far worse emerging, an old feeling that she had believed she could weed out permanently. It was despair. It was helplessness. She walked because she couldn't make herself run. The voice wouldn't tell her why, and for once, she actually wished she would hear from it. A horn screamed, and she turned to see a car rolling towards her, headlights pinning her. How could it be coming right at her? Had she drifted into the middle of the street? She didn't know, and she couldn't move. Was she dying right now? I'm a deer, she thought to herself with lethal irony. A deer in the headlights. The car swerved and stopped, missing her by less than a foot. She stared dumbly at it. The driver was mouthing something, maybe at Maria, maybe just to himself. She couldn't hear anything. Her brother was dead. She ran at the car. She kicked the doors, punched at the window, bruising her knuckles and screaming uselessly. The driver's face turned to terror and he floored the gas. The son of a bitching car was getting away. It had killed her brother and it was getting away, and she couldn't run after it. Maria sat down on the road and bowed her head. If another car came, it could take her. No cars came. It was a quiet neighborhood, and not too many people went out at night. She didn't know what time it was when she returned to the house. She wasn't moving of her own volition anymore. The voice, or inertia, or whatever the hell was keeping her going just made her kick off her shoes and socks, lay down on the couch, and pull a blanket that didn't fully cover even her short frame over as much of her as possible. Sleep didn't come. Her brain drifted to that place that wasn't sleep, but where time and the senses were meaningless. A clock was ticking somewhere, and it was impossible to tune out. All the quiet sounds of the house mocked her. Old grudges stomped through her thoughts. Against high school classmates, a fellow pilot who had gotten a little too handsy one day. Brian's wife, Jennifer, who was just totally justified in hating Maria, but had gotten unbearably smug about it. She breathed slowly and steadily. No sleep. She squeezed her eyes shut. No sleep. The clock kept tick-ticking, and it was louder than all the noises of nature. She wished she was out in a tent. She wished a bear would come by, and she wanted to see if she could scare it off. She imagined future people in sci-fi clothing with weird scars on their foreheads dropping dead from a techno-brain plague. She imagined FBI agents kicking down the door, arresting her in her jogging gear, and throwing her into a dark hole for daring to interfere in the efforts of the super-rich to make themselves even richer. She imagined a bomb, a bomb somewhere far overhead, attached to a little drone cruising serenely in the night sky. She imagined it waiting for its moment to cut loose from its ride, to drift, to aim itself, and then plummet silently through the air, down, 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 onto the home of Dr. Weldon Qualls, scientific meddler, his collaborator wife, and the notorious anarchist, drunk and loser, Maria Kerrigan. Chapter 
and Leah. What was it waiting for? What in the goddamn hell was that cruel bomb waiting for? No sleep. Maria let Leah do most of the driving on the way home. Leah was very serious and careful about driving, enough so that more than once Maria cracked. It's got an engine in it. You're allowed to use it. I've never driven a truck before, I don't think, Leah grinned. The other cars look really small when you're up off the ground like this. Well, you're a truck driver now, Maria answered. That makes you at least one quarter country. What would be next? A hat? Nah, you don't want to be too country, Maria answered, looking off at the horizon. A little keeps your feet on the ground. Too much stops you from ever going anywhere. Were there a lot of country people in Arizona? I mean, it's not the South. There are country people everywhere. We had our share. There was this one, oh, he thought he was a stud. Wore a big hat, big boots, big belt buckle. Meanwhile, he's about as white as a pencil and he's got acne all over his face. When I was 15, I thought it was kind of cute and we did some tonguing by the school pool a few times. He didn't want to be seen with me, though. Said his friends were teasing him, calling him a bean eater. Usual shit. He's tough, but can't even take a little name calling from his precious buddies. Leah looked over with a smile. So what did you do? Smack him around? Maria looked over. No kid. I cried. I felt like I was the smallest little turd of an insect in the world, and he just stepped on me. Back then, I didn't fight. There was no point. Leah's face creased with sadness. That doesn't sound like you at all. I'm glad you started fighting. Maria shrugged resignedly. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Sure. Fire away. You're my hero. You were my hero even before you saved the future. Maria squirmed in her seat. Ah, shit, princess. Why do you have to start that? Really? I'm not sure if I can even describe what life was like for me before we met. I was like... like a pinhole. There was only that much of me and all this nothingness around it. Breathing through a straw. Isn't that what they say it's like for people with asthma? I think I know what that's like. Only for me, it wasn't just breathing. It was everything. It really scares me. Like, really, really scares me. To think about how little of me was in there. And that I was okay with that. You change that. Because you just fight so much and do so much. And don't let anything stop you. I don't know how I got so lucky, but... You're my hero. Maria slumped down and stared at the road ahead. All she could think was about how incredibly wrong Leah was and how lousy it was that the kid wouldn't be able to handle a truth like that. It wasn't fair. They made it to their little house, but Maria didn't want to go in. She felt like she might never come back out. She saw herself old and gray in there, playing cards with the wrinkly Leah who wouldn't stop telling her how amazing she was. Leah was already tugging her sad little suitcase up to the porch. 
She looked back at Maria expectantly. Maria jumped back into the truck. You go in. I'm going to head into town for a bit. Oh, okay. Have fun. Maria drove away, not sure what counted as fun anymore, but determined to find out. She smelled cigarette smoke. She heard the jukebox and clack rattle of pool balls. It was a real hole of a place to be, which made it perfect. She took the keys out of the ignition and went inside. The atmosphere hit her all at once. A dizzying cloud of sawdust and cheap beer and sad mumbles and lonely assholes biding their time until the desperate hours. Walk into it once and you wonder why anyone would ever want to be there. Stay in long enough and you'd forget there was any other place to be. The brightest light in the place was from a grimy antique popcorn machine with a little clown turning a cylinder of kernels. The poor bastard had probably been at that job for 50 years or more. The woman at the register had leathery skin and tits to the floor. Maria went for a bowl of popcorn, but she didn't sit at the bar yet. She swept back and forth past it in slow steps, like a pacing cat. She had the weirdest feeling, like she should ask them if there was a cot. She felt like she could sleep all night in this place without even asking anyone to quiet down. She turned and walked to the pool table. The two men playing checked her out with no shyness. She pulled out a 20 and slapped it down on the rail. One of the players, the tall one, he was 6'4 at least, with a grass patch of gray hair, a big mustache, and a delicate old creak in all his movements. Circled around, put down a 20 of his own on top of hers, then dropped the little cube of chalk on top of it to seal the deal. Then he silently nudged her aside with his cue and resumed the previous game. Maria leaned against the wall and watched. A buzz that drowned out everything else filled her mind. She didn't even need a beer. Just being there felt good. The tall man made short work of his opponent and then stood up straight and silent, waiting. His head was so much higher than the table light. It looked like he didn't even have one. It was just this tall, masculine body gripping a pool cue and fading into nothingness at the neck. She re-racked the balls. The weight of them in her hands made them feel like weapons. The tall man still didn't move, so she lined up to break, and the game was on. Maria was rusty, and even when she hadn't been rusty, she had always kind of sucked. He took her to pieces, cool and slow. She had only sunk two before he put the eight ball away, stretched up tall again, and folded both 20s into his shirt pocket. He'd never said a word. Given the girth of his mustache, she couldn't even say for certain he had a mouth. He put his cue back on the wall and strode slowly towards the bar. She pulled out another 20 and slapped it down. He didn't take the bait. But another guy did, a jagoff with a permanent smirk on his wide, stupid face. Maria felt a rush of satisfaction because she knew that on this night it wouldn't take 10 minutes before she punched this guy and that if she was really lucky, she'd spend the night in jail over it. 
I'm Roseanne, host of the California Dreaming Podcast, a true crime show that delves into the darker side of California. Join me each week as we take a tour of the beautiful beaches, majestic mountain ranges, expansive deserts, and soaring redwoods to discover some of the most chilling, fascinating, and depraved criminal acts that have taken place across the state. You can find California Dreaming on all of your favorite podcast directories, including Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can visit our website at www.orbitaljigsaw.com and click on the show's link to find hours and hours of true crime tales from the Golden State. Thank you and sweet dreams. A Sickness in Time by M.F. Thomas and Nicholas Thurkettle Narrated by Roseanne Sinclair Remember, if you'd like a free autographed copy of A Sickness in Time, just write a review on iTunes or your podcast network and email a picture of it to mfthomasauthor at icloud.com. <laughs>